Today's episode is brought to you by the console life cycle. It's inevitable. One day, people will just stop making video games for a console, usually because they have moved on to bigger, stronger, more capable hardware that's easier to develop for, lets them do new things, and that people are actually interested in buying new games for. The Nintendo Entertainment System may have saved video gaming, but by 1994, nine years after its initial release, it was time to say goodnight. Only a dozen titles released for the system in its final year, one of which is today's episode, Mega Man 6 on What Am I Podcasting For? Hello, and welcome to What Am I Podcasting For? My name's Garlisle, and this show is my chronicle of playing through the entire Mega Man series. From Mega Man 1 to Mega Man 11, and as many of the 100 plus games in between as I can get my hands on. And today, well, we're saying goodbye to the system that started it all. I love the NES. I mentioned this in the first episode, but this was arguably, or pretty much as historically viewed as the console that saved gaming. Prior to the NES emerging, controversies over video game content and like shovelware license titles that cost big bucks but had zero play value, these things were absolutely torpedoing consumer faith. Through a little bit of clever marketing and insisting on a company overview of the titles that were going to be published to ensure they maintained a certain quality and content standard, Nintendo was able to restore faith in an industry that very easily could have failed to take off, and had it not, we could be looking at a very different landscape of just the world in general today. Still, I mentioned before that Mega Man X was still late to the party on jumping on board the SNES here. How late are we talking when we talk about this game? As far as North American releases go, about five months after this game released, Final Fantasy VI would release on the SNES. As Final Fantasy III, I know, but let's not get into that right now. This is how late into the SNES's life cycle we are talking. By the end of this year, the PlayStation 1 will have released in Japan. Think about that for just a moment. I mean, we're not talking like North America here, but like, this is the time that we are at in video gaming, is the PlayStation 1 is looming on the horizon, and we're playing an NES game. Only Star Tropics 2 and Wario's Woods really otherwise came out this year that you would have heard of at all, so that's the kind of environment we're in. We're at the last stragglers. Kind of the nice part of this is that this means that Mega Man 6 did in fact take full advantage of the NES's hardware. Maybe not necessarily to the degree of certain extremely late Konami titles, which took advantage of additional chips within the cartridges themselves to kind of break the limits of what the NES should be able to do, but we're still getting a title that overall is going to look great. Mega Man 6 feels like it suffers from slowdown less than its predecessors, even on certain attacks that traditionally feel like they probably should have generated some lag. And there's some just general presentation cleanup, like a more detailed screen when we tab in two bosses and stuff that this might have been like a B-list team working on this at Capcom. It wouldn't surprise me to find that out. After all, they were hot off the tail of developing Mega Man X and they were now developing Mega Man X 2. And that was obviously like their big one. But the team that worked this absolutely took advantage of what they had learned in the previous games. To kick off this game, we actually shake up the story a little bit. A mysterious Mr. X hosts a robot fighting tournament. 
to determine which robots out there are some of the strongest that the world has created. However, once it gets down to the top eight, Mr. X basically manually overrides the robots and sends them on a path of destruction. He then reveals that apparently he's been the force manipulating Dr. Wily the whole time, getting the world to develop combat robots in order to protect themselves against Dr. Wily, and now he's taken those combat robots to really like take over the world. And most importantly, now that he has the strongest robots in the world, he can take out Mega Man, the one thing that has stopped Dr. Wily each time. We'll see how that goes for him. In terms of Mega Man's controls in this game, Mega Man handles basically the exact same as he did in Mega Man 5. There might be some slight physics differences, but most people aren't really going to notice them. The most visible change is actually and this is a weird thing to point out, it's in the speed of deaths in this game. When you die, traditionally the music would cut out in the background and come to a stop and you'd wait a few seconds and then you'd respawn. In this one, the music doesn't even cut out, it just like holds for a second, restarts, and then you're right back. It's weird because it is not at the same pace of every one of the previous games. Like, I know that's a weird thing to get hung up on, but when you've been playing these games as much as I have recently, or as much as anybody probably was who was still willing to pick up an NES Mega Man, game at the time, that little change just feels off. Other changes of note, we do have some hidden letters to pick up, though we'll find out that there's a bit of a different system in this one. We do not have the M tanks this time, despite appearing in Mega Man 5 and then extending out in Mega Man World 4 with weapon tanks as well. This game goes back to just having E-tanks. Also, and this is a weird one, there is no rush coil in this game. This game actually replaces the rush systems completely in what is kind of this game's unique take on it, because I don't think this is actually done in any of the future Mega Man games. This was an experiment specific to Mega Man 6. Once you find them, you actually receive the rush jet adapter and the rush power adapter. When you select these from the menu in a stage, you actually get like a little transformation sequence of rush essentially turning into an armor extension for Mega Man and then junctioning onto him. These adapters drastically change Mega Man's moveset without technically being a weapon. While you are in either of these adapted forms, you cannot slide. In the Rush Jet adapter form, or Jet Mega Man as it is called, you can still fire your regular Mega Buster, though you cannot charge it, but most notably, instead of a weapon energy gauge, you have essentially a small, like, fuel tank, where if you hold the jump button while you are in midair, your boosters will actually turn on and you'll be able to, like, fly or, like, press it repeatedly to kind of like stutter and stay roughly stable in the air. And while your boosters are on, that gauge will deplete, but the moment that you land, they will start refilling. This thing doesn't actually have limited weapon energy. So any platforming challenges that this requires, which by the time we hit the fortress, it will require you to have this because you will have gotten it from defeating one of the robot masters. You have infinite ammo for this thing, essentially, which is great. I actually love this. It prevents the issue that can come up in some of these games where you've just run out of weapon ammunition and you have to take a game over or farm enemies a bunch. They finally found a solution to a weapon screw in this game. This is the first one where it genuinely cannot happen. And it's really fun to use, too. Like, yes, you are basically restricted to the weakest possible weapon while using it, but you have a complete freedom to tackle platforming challenges in a different way once you have this, which is nice. The other form that Mega Man gets, Power Mega Man, is not as special. It's kind of goofy looking. He gets, like, big boxing glove fists and ridiculous shoulder pauldrons. The main function of this one is to change your Mega Buster. It changes it into a short-range punch, which does the same damage as your regular Buster, but you can charge it up 
to get an extremely short-range punch that does the same damage as your Mega Buster, but does have the advantage of being able to destroy a couple enemies that would normally have shields, and also to shatter various blocks in the stages. This one is more used as like a key-to-a-lock sort of situation. Despite the name, it isn't really more powerful than your basic Mega Buster, so you don't really use it to attack things. But because they design these abilities, you will actually see throughout all of the Robot Master stages and all of the Fortress stages, you will see opportunities to use these to access like different paths, optional extra lives or e-tanks. Like They went out of their way to really integrate these and say, hey, let's have these be part of your kit and how you traverse around. It was honestly a pretty good idea and is one of this game's strengths is that these levels feel like they have just a degree more room for exploration and like replayability going down different paths than your usual Mega Man game and that is one of this game's strengths that I will say I really enjoyed. Anyway, enough talking in general, let's start tackling some Robot Masters. <laughs> Robot Masters in Mega Man 6 are kind of divided up into two different halves. We can call them like the Elemental Robot Masters, who feel a bit more like traditional Robot Masters, Plant Man, Blizzard Man, Wind Man, Flame Man, and the Warrior Robot Masters, Night Man, Tomahawk Man, Yamato Man, and Centaur Man. I'll cover the elemental ones first, partially because I suggest you do that if you're new to the game anyway, because that is where the rush adapters are hidden. We'll begin with Plant Man stage, which is largely, as expected, a greenery-themed stage, though it isn't quite as like far into the woods as Woodman's theme was. It actually still incorporates some like industrial elements. But you do get a lot of fun things here in this stage, and it's a really well-rounded stage. We have a mini-boss, which is like a giant gorilla tank coming at us. There are enemies that jump out of the tree canopy above you to ambush you. We get a segment where we have to like platform over a river using spring platforms, and there's like flowers growing in the trees that are actually little bits of energy, which is a really nice little visual touch. I guess life really does grow on trees. The spring platforms in this stage actually are a good example of the refinement that NES games have reached at this point and especially Mega Man games. In many games like this, a platform that like you land on it and then it bounces you, many games like this, you have to time your jump exactly as you land on the platform in order to actually get the boosted jump, which makes using them to clear gaps and stuff extremely difficult. In this stage, all you have to do is be holding jump while you're bouncing on the spray. So it's extremely consistent and it actually ends up feeling really good. Overall, this is actually probably one of my preferred stages of this game. It's just really like it's varied, it's thematically cohesive, it's visually impressive. By comparison, Plant Man isn't anything too special. He has actually an extremely like hard focused pattern. He will create a shield around himself of leaves, jump, then when he lands, he will throw the shield, and then he will run to the location you were standing at and repeat. Because it is entirely predictable, this boss is pretty much fully manipulatable, other than what direction he decides to jump, which whatever, it's high, you've got plenty of time to react. Once you realize it's completely static. He's a very easy boss to begin with, and defeating him gets us our Rush Jet Adapter, which will help out in basically every stage from here on. 
Uh, Windman stage, there isn't a ton to talk about in this stage. It is largely a vertical climbing stage that is less platforming oriented than you would expect of a stage that is like suspended in the air. There's less opportunities to die than you would think. The main gimmick of this stage, as you might expect, has to do with like wind turbines pushing you around or like helping you jump higher, but occasionally you have to watch out that you don't jump too high into spikes. Again, it is surprisingly like solidly implemented. I have absolutely seen some games, some really popular games, like Super Meat Boy, have wind physics that do not feel good, and in this case that actually works out pretty well. Other than that though, there isn't too much to talk about in the stage, and Windman himself is he's a little bit weird in like he doesn't jump so much as he like lifts himself off the ground, flies horizontally, and then comes back down like he's some sort of helicopter. He has the old like try to pull you in sort of move like Dustman, but for for once, he doesn't actually go invincible while he's doing it, which makes him a sitting duck, and also keeps it from feeling like you're sort of just, like, doing an endurance match. He's really not that bad. Very easy stage overall. Blizzard Man? This is the ice physics stage. Of course there's an ice physics stage. The boss is named Blizzard Man. This isn't nearly as bad as Iceman was, though. The ice physics don't feel quite as strong in this game in terms of messing with your controls as they have in previous games, or maybe I'm just really used to it. There's a really neat section partway through this stage where you're going through, like, a frozen cavern with a submarine that's, like, rising up and down. Like, the effect is kind of similar to segments you'll see in platformers where there's a descending ceiling of spikes that you have have to avoid getting crushed against, but also in this case, those low sections will dip down into the freezing water and you don't want to be there either. So you have to like keep constantly on the move between different safe spots. It's just really like a thematically visually interesting part and also an interesting part to play that stuck with me. The boss himself only has like two different attacks. He can either roll into a ball and try to crush you and bounce off the wall and he's invincible during this, or he can randomly create snowflakes in the air, which will then then just home in on your location. And when I say randomly, I mean they can appear literally anywhere over your head. Not, not a particularly complicated boss, or particularly interesting, really. Flame Man, though. Flame Man has a really neat stage. Probably my favorite in the game. The basic idea behind Flame Man stage is that it is like an oil refinery type of area. You get a lot of sections where there's just long pits of oil that will slow you down and reduce your jump height and stuff when you try to move inside of it. But there's also enemies in this stage that are shooting fire or like dropping it down while flying from above. And if, if the enemies are allowed to drop a flame into the fire, the oil will ignite and become like instant death. So if you can defeat these enemies quickly, you can avoid igniting the fire and you can have an advantage there and easier traversal. If they do light it on fire, there's like enemies that you can hit with a charged buster to flip them over onto the fire and then they deploy as like platforms and stuff. It's just a really neat mechanism where there's a hazard that isn't always active on the stage and that you can do something to prevent. I know at least one other game in the series is going to do something like this, but just in general, I really like this. This was just a really neat idea that makes a really neat stage that keeps this gimmick going throughout without ever becoming like too difficult. The boss himself has a couple different moves. The main one to note is a set of flame pillars that he raises out of the ground, like Wave Man style, for instance. These are always done at a set distance from him, however, so while he is creating multiple, if you can get a sense of where the safe spots are, which is about a third of a screen away from him, he actually becomes extremely easy. I don't know, he's kind of fun, just because he's just random enough, but there is ways to safely deal with that randomness. 
this. Defeating Flame Man does get us the Rush Power Adapter, by the way, so we are fully equipped, and having those is going to save us some time when we go into the Weapon Robot Master stages, which we will begin with, let's say, Tomahawk Man. Getting this out of the way, yeah, if the fact that he's called Tomahawk Man and not, like, Axeman or something gives you any indication, he has a little bit of, like, a Native American motif going on, and, you know, his stage is kind of set in, like, an older Wild West-looking area. There's some light stereotyping going on here, I'll admit, but that's actually about where the stereotyping ends, is just Tomahawk Man's design with, like, its headdress and the stage being a Wild West theme. They could have gone way, way worse with what they did with this one, because the rest of the stage is fairly kind of as standard for the environment, but not really playing into any motifs like that. We get a segment where we're going through a mine section, and we come out against like a setting sun, which actually looks really visually impressive. The mini-boss in this stage is actually just like it's a gigantic tub of metars that is just dripping out metars whenever you defeat them. It's just a friend dispenser. This stage is big on alternate paths. At the end of the stage, there's actually like a triple branch where if you have the power adapter, you can bust open a brick and find a secret room that has Proto Man making a cameo. And he actually throws us the energy balancer, which, yes, it's made its way back to the classic games. With the fact that this game does not have M or S tanks, the energy balancer is actually super valuable to find. Especially because oftentimes we're in the jet or power forms in these stages. When we're in those forms, we don't have weapon energy, so the energy balancer will refill our other weapons for us. I'm really glad to see this here, even if it's completely missable, and there isn't really much of an indication that you are missing something in this game until you have found it, at least as far as the energy balancer is concerned. There is another path that we can take using the jet, but for the moment, we're just going to go down the regular path and go fight Tomahawk Man. Again, a semi-random boss fight, he can either, like, do short hops or large jumps, or he can throw a tomahawk, which, like, lifts up into the air as it goes, instead of just firing in a straight direction, or he can, like, flick his headdress and throw a bunch of feathers at us. Um, I'm not qualified to speak on whether that is or isn't a bad idea. Uh, <laughs> not that difficult of a boss, but when we take him out, something to note is as we've been finishing Robot Master stages up to this point with the Elemental Robot Masters, the finished screen has a Mega Man 1-Up icon in place of the boss's portrait to indicate that it's done. When we finish off Tomahawk Man, there isn't one, which should suggest to you that you've actually missed something. Each of the weapon-based Robot Masters has essentially what I guess is supposed to be like a fake version of the boss as well as the real version of the boss, and they fight exactly identical, so it doesn't really matter. But there's two gates into each boss room, essentially, one of which requires you to use one of the adapters to access it. And if you use your adapter to access that alternate gate and defeat the boss there, you will receive one of the four letters of 
B-E-A-T. Surprise beats back. One interesting thing to note is that if you finish one of these Robot Master stages, realize you took the wrong exit, and then come back, some of the pallets of the stage will actually have swapped around. It doesn't actually change the stage itself, unfortunately, but it is kind of nice that they at least tried to do something to freshen up the look of the stage for you having to replay it to get the thing you missed. So, there's that. The next stage is Nightman stage, which is basically thematically exactly as you expected. It's themed around a medieval castle. You get the expected stuff like running across the top of the parapets in the middle of a storm, or dealing with a spiked falling ceiling in like a dungeon area in the basement, yada yada. Not terribly interesting in reality, except for like a one-off room right near the end of the stage, which has a bouncy ceiling and floor all over it, and that's really difficult to control yourself in. And it's just there. It doesn't come back anywhere else in the stage. It doesn't come back anywhere else in the game. It's just there. I don't know. It just bothered me that, like, there's no thematic cohesion with the stage there. There's no anything. It, I don't know. Nightman is fairly simple of a boss. He has basically one attack, which is to throw out, like, a boomeranging mace ball at you. The thing that makes Nightman interesting is that his sprite shows him holding a shield at the front, and he actually does have that shield. Unless you can hit him like from behind while he's like jumping in the air or while he's throwing out his mace he will just deflect most attacks other than his weakness so it's kind of nice to see like i don't know i always like it in games when something's shown with a shield and it actually does something and i mean tons of Mega Man regular enemies have done that but we've never really had a robot master that's done that yeah anyway yamato man is next if you're not familiar with what a yamato is well that's because it is kind of a specific japanese term for a particular not quite yet samurai area japan history um I'm Listen, if we were talking Sengoku period, I'd know at least a little bit because I played a ton of Samurai Warriors, so at least some of the names are familiar, but I do know that the Yamato era predates that, and so we are talking like Japanese infantry with a spear type era here. Anyway, as you would expect of a robot master named after a specific Japanese era, you get like a Japanese castle stage, which I will tell you doesn't really feel like it's themed like a Japanese castle in any way once you get inside. It's it's a lot of tight corridors and enemy types that like it feels almost more like it's just a Wily's Fortress stage, just an easier one. The only thing that really feels ancient Japanese inspired is if you take an alternate path there is a missable mini boss which is like a ninja looking figure riding atop a giant toad so it's kind of a surprisingly bland stage I don't know Yamato man himself is also not particularly inspired he can jump up into the air and throw spearheads at you or he can swing his spear around and actually launch the tip of it off and then he has to do kind of the silly looking thing where he runs over to it to pick it up not really that difficult the main thing that really punctuates this boss is that his attacks are actually surprisingly swift to come out you need to maintain some distance because there is like zero warning time on any of his abilities but eh what Whatever. Then we get to the weirdest stage in the game, which is Centaur Man. So try to picture in your head what you think a Centaur Man stage would look like. Because I almost guarantee you it's wrong. This is the water stage of the game, for starters. There is there is some theorizing because the stage, according to the stage select screen, was an ancient city that maybe Centaur Man stage is based around like Atlantis or something, because centaurs were Greek and yada yada. This is kind of a decently fun stage where like we don't just go underwater through part of it, but we actually go under underwater. By which I mean there's a segment where literally we drop down a pit in the water and 
we land on dry land underneath like up how do you even describe it it's like the water is the ceiling and is actually rising up and down so we can jump into it to extend our jumps it's weird and it's creative and what does it have to do with a centaur we don't know as for the boss fight centaur man has four different things he can do one of them makes sense he's a centaur he charges across the arena one of them makes at least decent sense He fires a shot, and when it hits the back wall, it just explodes into a spread of shots that's actually fairly dense. But you'll never guess what his other two abilities are, because it's to teleport, and it's to stop time. Um, I... I don't... What? (laughs) Where in centaur mythology? Like, I wasn't a Greek mythology major when I was a kid. I, I mean, I learned a few things, because... Basically, everybody who's into fiction as a kid ends up seemingly briefly obsessed with Greek mythology, but... What? Did I miss something somewhere? (laughs) I don't get it. Anyway, confused as hell as we are about Centaur Man. That does conclude the eight Robot Masters. Before we head to take on Mr. X in his fortress, let's talk about the loot we've gotten, the weapons. Overall, my take on the weapons in this game is that they are not particularly exciting weapons, but I came around on a number of them as being fairly effective. I think this game did learn a little bit from Mega Man X's development that enemies with higher HP get you using more than just your Mega Buster, which is probably a good thing. So, as usual, we'll go worst to best, which means we're beginning with the Windstorm. I mean, it's a ground-based power, kind of like the Bubble Lead, which this isn't an attack Windman himself actually uses, and it doesn't really make sense as a wind-based weapon to have it be ground-based. It at least moves quite quickly, but other than that, this weapon is weak and unimpressive and whatever. You can forget you have this weapon and it won't make a difference. Coming up in second to last is the Blizzard Attack. This is a neat weapon in theory. It creates four different ice shots around Mega Man that then shoot forward in slightly different arcs to cover a like spread. Kind of a shotgun style thing. Which, I mean, in theory it should be good at dealing with rooms that have a ton of enemies, but that's not a whole lot of rooms in this game. And the thing is, is despite firing multiple shots, they're spread out enough that they're probably not going to all coalesce on one target, and they don't do a whole lot of damage to begin with. It's a neat idea for a weapon, but it just isn't an impactful weapon with the way that the stages are designed. The next weapon that I have to highlight is unfortunately Beat. You can get beat if you did collect all four of his letters, but honestly, unlike in Mega Man 5, he's not impressive. His ammo consumption seems a little bit higher, his damage seems a little bit lower, and he doesn't even pay attention to most bosses. He gets caught up on projectiles. Unfortunately, beat is just not useful in this one. Like, he's still beat, he's still adorable, but he's just not much good here. Next up is the Yamato Spear, where we are approaching the weapons that are actually decently usable. The Yamato Spear is basically just a straightforward shot that it does, like, alternate between angles slightly up or slightly down, but basically it's a replacement Mega Buster that has a little bit more damage and most notably pierces through enemy shields, which sometimes has its uses. Not a super valuable weapon, but not a bad weapon. After that is the Plant Barrier. Uh... 
After, like, a couple games of having barriers be some of my favorite weapons, they seem to have realized that the barriers were too good in the games. Because the plant barrier, I mean, yes, it functions basically identical to the skull shield. It can negate a single projectile, or it can, like, you can turn it on and you can jump into enemies and safely platform a bit, but unfortunately they made the plant barrier absolutely an ammo eater. You get, like, eight uses of it and that's it. And that's, that's just not enough. You can't even throw it like Starman's or Woodman's either. It, it just isn't impactful. Its ammo drain means you just can't freely use it in near the way you could in others. Anyway, next up we hit the Silver Tomahawk. Just like the shot the Tomahawk Man himself fires, this is a projectile that, like, arcs upward as it gets going, allowing it to hit enemies sort of diagonally from you. It's decently powerful. It is just, the arc on this thing is not a straight, direct line, and that makes it kind of hard and awkward to aim with, but it does have the advantage of, like, actually being decent at what it does and working against several different bosses in the fortress really well. It's not a bad weapon. It's just a little bit awkward. Then we come to the centaur flash, which, hey, remember how centaur man's powers were to stop time and teleport? Well, this is neither of those things. This is just flash the screen and damage all enemies. It's basically the gravity hold again. What what were they doing with Centaur Man? Why does he have... Why, why water stage? Why time stop? Why teleport? And then why is his weapon none of those... <sighs> Coming in in second place is the Night Crusher. This is basically the boomerang cutter from Mega Man X. You throw it out and it kind of like loops back around towards you. It doesn't have the boomerang cutter's property of picking up and carrying items back to you, and it doesn't have the like ridiculous ammo efficiency of the boomerang cutter, but it also has the advantage that you can angle your shots with this thing. It is multi-directional firing. It is decently powerful. You can have two of it out at a time, though it's not completely as powerfully but this thing is, like, you can use this thing pretty regularly when playing through the game, and it feels good to do so. But probably my favorite weapon from this game is also a weapon that I looked at and thought was trash at first, which is the Flame Blast. The Flame Blast is just a short little projectile you lob out, and when it hits the ground or a wall, it creates a tiny little fire pillar for like a second. This thing looks largely unusable, and nothing could be further from the truth. Yes, it's not going to hit enemies in certain locations relative to you, but also it's extremely powerful. Every single shot with this thing is more powerful than your charged Mega Buster is. You can just spam out as many of these as fast as you can hit the button, and many bosses in this game die to like three or four hits from this. Plus, the fact that it lobs kind of helps you deal with enemies on platforms below you sometimes, too. It is a weapon that is so powerful relative to your basic weapons and relative to other weapons in this game, even other good weapons like the Night Crusher and stuff, that it just takes top spot because its limitations of effectively a short range are worth working around because it just provides so much power. Alrighty, fully equipped out? Let's head over to Dr. X's lab. Now, you mostly know how this goes at this point. Most of these stages are going to be remixes of stuff we've already seen, but nicely enough, in Mega Man 6, these fortress-style stages still have some interesting little tidbits worked into them that are new. Stage 1 takes us through the usual, like, scale the outside of the fortress section, but this is actually in the middle of, like, the city, so we get, like, a really gorgeous backdrop as we do this. There's also, in this stage, there's a shortcut you can take that to access this shortcut, you need to do a, like, very, very dangerous, very precise platforming segment 
under an overhang of spikes, and you have to do it as Power Mega Man, because you need to use a charge shot to bust open a window at the end of it. But if you make these tricky jumps, you can actually shortcut through like half of the stage, and you will pick up like four extra lives in the process. It's just, I just really liked it. It is one of the toughest individual platforming stunts I have seen to date in Mega Man, but it is actually rewarding to go for it. The boss of this stage is also really neat. You can see a bunch of rails set up in the background on like a long track, and the boss is a couple turrets that are running along these rails, and they will randomly like speed up or reverse direction as you go. It's it's just really neat. X's Lab Stage 2 brings back kind of the fake floors segment that we saw back in Wily Fortress in 2. This time, though, there's actually an environmental tell in that there's like clearly marked sections of the walls that will tell you, hey, you'll be falling through this. So you don't need to explore the stage using the Windstorm, which would have actually given the Windstorm a purpose. The boss of this stage is potentially one of the hardest I have seen in Classic Mega Man. It's very, very simple. Essentially, on the far wall, there's this like stomping bot climbing up up and down the wall. The lowest it will ever get is just low enough that if you jump up and fire a charged buster, you'll be able to hit it, but it moves completely randomly. It can stay way up high a ton of the time, or it can stay way down low and be easier. It's firing spreads of shots at you while there are boulders also falling from the ceiling at you at random locations. This is a boss that is well matched to its weakness, which is the upwards arc of the Silver Tomahawk, but also, God forbid you run out of the Silver Tomahawk in this fight, because, oh boy, um, if you don't have it, you're either going to have to wait and like cross your fingers and hope he spends a bunch of time actually vulnerable and low enough to hit him, or you're going to have to try to use like the jet to get up to him. It it'll get messy real fast if you do not take him out the first time and you end up running out of tomahawk ammo. He's tough. Stage 3 is mostly marked by platforming challenges involving interlinked platforms where you stand on one and it drops and another one raises, but also they're designed in such a way that you have to use the jet also while doing them. The boss is a Metar driving a giant tank, which is adorable, but it's also basically like a baby mode version of some of the early game's Wily machine fights in that it's just a big body that throws different projectiles at you. Shrug. Stage 4 doesn't have any features I felt worth noting. The boss of the stage is Dr. X piloting a gigantic swinging mace that is like penduluming back and forth across the center of the screen and taking up most of it. Really not that difficult, especially when you realize fire shot like just chunks his HP. When we destroy it, he flies to the side of the screen in his floating chair and says, my scheme for world domination has failed. Um, I mispronounced that deliberately because it's, uh, it's misspelled. It's F-A-I-L-D, no E. And then he throws off his disguise and Mega Man jumps backwards in shock because, oh my god, it's Dr. Wily. What? Yeah, we knew. We've been know. It's always Dr. Wily. Anyway, off to Dr. Wily's fortress. Wily's Fortress Stage 1 is a vertical falling stage that is actually very different from all the other previous vertically falling stages that we've seen in the game, because this time we have the jet adapter, and this really emphasizes like our ability to pace ourselves out and control our speed using the jet, and it's actually a really fun stage because of it. The boss is a giant dinosaur-dragon hybrid tank thing that, in order to get high enough to actually hit it, we need to jump on the platforms that's occasionally spinning out. Stage 2 is basically Iceman stage, which is to say ice physics, and guess what? Yoku blocks are back. But other than that, it isn't really all that bad. The boss is this 
tank thing that just keeps getting closer to you until it traps you in a corner and becomes really difficult to dodge its attacks. But whenever you do hit it, it gets bounced back a little bit, so just getting aggressive or for once breaking out the wind shot is going to actually really help. Yes, it's hard to hit with the wind shot, but it will just defeat this boss so quickly it's not even a problem. It's the one time it's a good weapon. Wily's Fortress Stage 3 is surprise it's the boss rush and we don't even get like a boss at the end of it we just move straight on to wily's fortress stage four which is basically straight into a fight with dr wily himself whose track i will play for you because it's not my favorite thing but it does sort of reference previous wily tracks This time, the Wily Machine is a large spiked bottom dome that jumps back and forth across the screen, and every time it lands, it waits for a couple seconds and fires some shots at you. It feels very easy to hit this one, like its weak points are very, very large. After we bust open the first phase of it, we can see Dr. Wily's capsule on top, and we get our second phase, of course. This time, its jumps are a little bit more random in where it's going, and what kind of shots it does at you are a little more varied, so you have to be a little bit more adaptable. And then, of course, we destroy it, and Wily flies up in his UFO and does his classic, like, teleporting to different locations and firing shots. This time, we do not get to use Beat to just cheese this, because Beat doesn't even pay attention to Dr. Wily in this phase. But fortunately, the Night Crusher can actually just aim pretty much diagonally high enough to reach him regardless of where he shows up, and that is his weakness, so it's really not that bad, assuming you didn't blow all the ammo for the Night Crusher on the boss refights. Then we get our traditional Wily falling out of the UFO, and he begs for mercy, and then it's time for Wily to make his escape. Except this time he actually doesn't. Mega Man captures Dr. Wily. He ties him up, he turns him over to the authorities, and Dr. Wily now rules over a prison cell. The world's at peace. We get our robot roll call, which is a really nice medley of all the previous stage themes. And then we get our staff, and we get End of Game, presented by Capcom, to be continued. Which... To be fair, must have actually been kind of reassuring in its own way back in the day, because with the X series emerging on the SNES and the classic series continuing back on the NES, there might have been some theories at the time that this could have been the last of the classic Mega Man games, that things would end here, and that this would be the end of the timeline. And this basically confirmed, like, hey, we're not we're not done with the idea of the classic Mega Man games. We're going to keep exploring it. We're just done with the NES. But that's it. That's Mega Man 6. What do I think of this game? In retrospect, I think this is a very, very solid game. The bosses are generally fairly fun. Some of them are actually quite creative and interesting and challenging. Not all of them. A couple of them are kind of duds. The weapons are not necessarily creatively exciting. In fact, this honestly does feel like a very bland weapon set. But it is a fairly effective weapon set. I will give it that. It's not like gold all around, but more weapons of it are actually regularly usable than are not, which is good. Visually, the game is impressive, so why don't I love this game? I'm not sure. Like, 
the jet adapter is such a cool idea. It is so much fun to use. But something about this game just doesn't quite make me fall in love. The stages are solid, but most of them maybe aren't super inspired, and part of that might just come from the fact that they decided to do, like, hey, let's do four robot masters just themed after, like, warriors and masters of weapons, and that's not, like, that doesn't feel like it packs quite the variety. I don't know. Something stops me from really loving this game, even though probably it is one of the overall best-executed classic Mega Man NES games. It is hard for me to point to something and say, I actually think that was done bad, except like maybe Yamato Man stage, which is just lacking. And maybe the best demonstration of that is also in how I feel about the music, which is that musically this game is very, very solid. It feels very, very Mega Man. I don't hate a single track in this game. I enjoy them all. But also, I had a hard time picking out three tracks to highlight for this game because none of them are really pushing in any way that made them stand out. We don't have tracks in this game trying to do stuff like the Melancholy of Dustman stage, or like that High Energy Charge Man's Train song, or anything like that. It's just good. And maybe that is just why I'm just not quite a super fan of Mega Man 6. Other than the jet adapter, I don't really think there's that much in this game to get super excited about, and it's really unfortunate. Anyway... I just started talking about the music, so let's hit up three highlight tracks from this game. Plant Man Stage is a good demonstration of exactly what I mean. <laughs> I like this track, but it doesn't necessarily go anywhere super exciting. It just keeps a consistent rhythm and energy, and this is like the sum average of Mega Man music right here. <laughs> Next up, I'd like to highlight the one stage track I actually kind of really do like out of this game, which is Flame Man's. It has a really strong opening bit, and then just something about it feels like cohesively complete internally. Is like, I don't know, it has a movement to make and kind of the journey to take you on, so to speak. God, I wish I had a better language for music. Nothing in this track necessarily emphasizes Flame Man's stage, but the track itself is really good.
And finally, the track that I will highlight at the end of this is the regular boss battle theme, which it's a bit of a surprise, but this is definitely, barring the track that I highlighted back in Mega Man 5 for the final boss fight, but that was a final boss fight. This is my favorite of the Robot Master fight themes from the NES era. I like the way that the different tracks in it interplay. I like the like intro that goes on in it. I like the almost like Saturday morning cartoon fight scene energy. I don't know. This track is just really, really well done, and I really like this one. that, we have wrapped up Mega Man 6, and we have wrapped up our time with the Nintendo Entertainment System. It's over. Bye. Of course, just because we're done with the NES doesn't mean we are done with the games that were on the NES. We're going to make a hard betrayal on Nintendo, and go see what happens when Mega Man comes to other systems entirely. And I'm not talking about the SNES. In the meantime, thank you for listening. If you want to get in touch about the show, what am I podcasting for at gmail.com. If you want an update on your Twitter feed when the next episode goes live, at what am I podcast for, as in the number four. And of course, you can always subscribe with your RSS feed on whatever podcast provider you choose, or go to waipf.podbean.com and get the updates immediately. Thanks for listening. I've been Garlisle, and remember... Centaurs can stop time and they can teleport. We have video game evidence. Next time your mythology professor tells you, no, centaurs can't stop time, show them this game. You can get beat if you find the alternate paths for each of the four Weapon Master, Robot Master, 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 Master. master.